0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hokey Hangover Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg. I am joined today by one of the two usual suspects, Mike McDaniel, up in Northern Virginia. How are you doing, my friend?
1: I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, Thursday night. We're recording a little bit later this week than usual. Work stuff, life stuff happening, but it's good. It's good. Going well. Indeed. Indeed.
0: And quite frankly... I feel personally like it's probably better that we let the dust settle a little bit on this game because I I don't know how many of our listeners are on Twitter. I assume that many of you are. And and the website, the website that made Mike McDaniel famous has been a little bit of a firestorm this week. You'd think the bye week would be a good opportunity for everyone to calm down and, and, and put down their weapons, but quite frankly, it's been quite the opposite we'll get to that in just a second first gotta thank the good folks over at main street pharmacy main street pharmacy in downtown blacksburg is the pharmacy you want to go to if you want a health care provider that truly cares about you be a neighbor not a number and look no further than main street pharmacy dr jeremy counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need folks and, and, and that's legitimate if you're in the new river valley i know you listen to podcasts and you know Maybe Colin Coward doesn't wear Bombus socks, but Andrew Alex certainly gets his medication, gets his lifestyle needs from Main Street Pharmacy. Shout out to Jeremy. That is our guy. But Mike, we talked about this on the last podcast, you know, heading into the Richmond game. West Virginia was, in its moments, a horror movie for Virginia Tech fans. Those moments primarily being the first five minutes of the game and the last two minutes of the game. But if you wanted to take an optimistic view on the inadequacy of Virginia Tech's offense, you could point to the fact that they had already beaten North Carolina, or you could point to the fact that West Virginia in 2020 was one of the best defenses, especially at home in all of college football. They may have been the top defense, by the way, Richmond seemed like a great opportunity to get right, pad some stats, get some young guys in, and and create some kind of happy days are here again mentality in the fan base going into this, you know, I don't want to say monumental because it's not a monumental game against Notre Dame, but it's a game that carries a lot of weight. What is likely to be a top 10 opponent, certainly a top 25 opponent coming into Lane Stadium. You know, have that positive energy there. Unfortunately, not the case. As it's been with Justin Fuente and these FCS teams, it's the same old story, same old song and dance. Virginia Tech, offensively, unable to really do anything, they walk away with an 11-point victory that I don't care if you're a positive fan, a negative fan, or anywhere in between on that spectrum, left a lot to be desired. Mike? What's your initial reaction here? Are you going to throw some water on the fire? Or are you going to throw some gasoline?
1: <laughs> I mean, I think part of the benefit of recording this podcast on Thursday, like you mentioned, is we have allowed time for the dust to settle. And I guess, I mean, the game wasn't good. You know, I mean, it just, it wasn't good. It was a poor offensive performance. Uh, defense played fine. I uh, I guess, I'm looking at it with a, a bit of a, a broader lens, uh, just from the fact that, you know, we're at, we're at the bye week and I, I think the conversation we were having before the year was if Virginia tech could get to the bye week at, at three and one or better, you know, they'd have a, a pretty good shot to win eight or nine games. The, the funny thing about this though, is Virginia tech got to the bye at three and one. And I really don't feel that way. Andrew you know, I don't. And and it's interesting because the ACC is, you know, I, I don't want to say it's, it's a total, it's a total mess because I think that there are a lot of, you know, moderately decent teams in the conference. I mean, Clemson's down, right? So nationally, everybody's going to say, okay, well, you know, Clemson's not going to be a playoff team this year. So, you know, the ACC is in horrible shape. I don't necessarily believe that. I mean, I, I look at wake forest. I look at NC state. Yes. The traditional powers are down. You know, Miami has been more disappointing than expected. We'll see what they do tonight against Virginia. They haven't kicked off yet. As we sit here, hit record. Uh, We'll see how that game turns out. But I think Virginia has been a little bit worse than anticipated. You know, defense has been really bad, but offense has been, you know, okay with Brian Armstrong, Miami's certainly been worse. Florida state's been much worse than I think people thought Louisville's about what people expected, maybe a little bit better. Um Virginia Tech is, is three and one, but looking at the Hokies, I just don't, I don't know what to make of this team right now. I mean, I think the defense is certainly good, right? I don't think it's an elite defense. I, you know, I, I think it's a good defense. I don't think it's a defense that's elite because I think in order to have an elite defense, you have to have, you know, a, a unit that is going to go out there and legitimately win you football games, which I've seen more of Virginia Tech's defense keep them in football games while the offense has been trying to figure it out. We can make an argument in the opener that Virginia Tech's defense won that game, right? But by and large, the, the defense has kept Tech in football games through through the first four. Um, I'm just pretty disappointed with the offense. I mean, the Hokies ranked 97th in yards per play, which, I mean, we're on track to have by, wor- you know, by far the worst Brad Cornelson led offense at Virginia Tech. It's just been really inconsistent. you know. And it's been something different every game. I mean, I think the, the offensive line has, has had injuries, but the offensive line, I think, has been worse than I thought it would be. The running game is, is worse than I thought it would be. Uh, the quarterback play has been about what I thought it would be and the defense has been a little bit better than I thought it would be. So I, I don't know. I just, I, I think this team's okay. I think what, I think what we're going to run into here, Andrew, is I think Virginia tech has a nine or 10 win defense, but they have a five or six win offense. And I think, you know, when we get to the end of the year and the dust settles, you know, it's Virginia tech and to lose the rest of their games. No, you know, they'll probably surprise us and win a, win a few games that we don't think they should, you know, whether it's Notre Dame or Pittsburgh or Miami or, Uh, you know, depending on what you think of Georgia Tech, maybe that one or BC, Uh, I mean, they're going to win a few that we probably aren't expecting them to, you know, when assessing the offense right now. And they're also going to lose a few that we probably on paper look at and say, you know what, they probably shouldn't have lost that game. And West Virginia, ironically, (laughs) is one of them where, I mean, on paper, it looked like a very, very much a toss up game, but the way the game played out Virginia Tech had every right to lose that game, but they had every right to win that game too in the, in the same light. So it's been a very weird start to the year. Virginia Tech has everything they they want to attain in front of them, but it's hard to have too much confidence given how bad the offense has been.
0: Yeah, Mike, and I feel the exact same way to the beginning of your point. Three and one, anyone would have taken that. Any gambler would say, all right, you have, North Carolina and West Virginia, plus these two FCS schools, take one of them, I mean, especially the North Carolina game. Just We're going to take the North Carolina game. We'll lose it. West Virginia we will lose on the last drive. If I told you that, you would have thought that we'd be sitting here feeling really good. If I told you the results elsewhere in the ACC to this point, you'd feel even better because coastal chaos is looking like it could be at its finest but with everything you mentioned it's hard as a fan of football to watch this offense and have any confidence this can happen going forward this even happens in the nfl your defense can only carry you so far and you say that virginia tech's defense is keeping them in football games not winning them football games well i think it's hard for a defense to win you football games. I think that Clemson is showing right now that it is damn near impossible for a defense to win you football games, no matter how good that defense is. And for some Virginia Tech fans who had concerns coming into the season about the offense, words ring true. And, you know, throughout history, you can look at business, you can look at politics, whatever. There are haunting phrases that will stick with you as a leader of any sort of organization or like thereof. Go back to the early 1990s. George H.W. Bush, read my lips, no new taxes in his initial presidential campaign, raises taxes. He's gone, not elected. Barack Obama, Obamacare. If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor rated the lie of the year by Politico haunted him for his entire presidency. Second term ends up being not a very productive one. Republicans sweep through Congress in 2010. Justin Fuente, ACC Media Day. This is the most confident I have been in the passing game in my tenure at Virginia Tech. Now, some people will liken that to a slight at Gerard Evans, a slight at Josh Jackson. That's not what I think. And I know it's just a coach speaking. But frankly, Seeing what I've seen, this is the least confident I've been in Virginia Tech's ability to pass the ball downfield. And I think it makes clear that what many feared is actually true. That in what is it, his fourth or fifth year of college football, Braxton Burmeister is the quarterback who he's going to be a fantastic athlete, not a phenomenal thrower of the football by any stretch of the imagination. And even against a team like Richmond where your guys should be better than their guys at every single position. It was just still such sloppy play. Now that first drive down the field gave you the thought, the indication that maybe this would be a 2017 against Delaware style game where they walk away with it 60 to nothing. But ultimately It's the fourth quarter and you might not be holding your breath, but gosh, if Tavion Robinson doesn't take that punt to the house and it's a four point game, then we're having a moment that's reminiscent of the Furman game in 2019 and no one wants to go back there. And this was all done against a backup quarterback. So the defense was essentially thrown a bone. So what's the lesson that we have to learn, Mike? I think it's just what I said before. Braxton Burmeister is who he is. The running game has clearly taken taken a step back from Khalil Herbert. We knew that would happen. No one's surprised by that. Losing Christian Derrisson, of course, losing Herbert himself, losing Doug Nestor. We weren't going to have these 250-yard rushing games week in and week out. But I guess that puts more pressure on the coaching staff, a coaching staff that coming into the season already has almost an insurmountable amount of pressure. I mean, your job's on the line. And they're going to have to figure out how to milk the most production out of a group that is full of talent, but is ultimately limited. So my question for you is, how do they do that? What's the strategy here?
1: Yeah, I mean, your guess is as good as mine. I mean, I think the easy answer is to execute better. But I mean, Jesus, I mean, what what do they? <laughs> I, I don't know how they... How they do that, right? I mean, it's it's uh, it's tough. I mean, I think what we're seeing here, Andrew, like elephant in the room, is that Virginia Tech has had a couple years of poor recruiting, and I think it's really starting to catch up with them, right? And and not necessarily with the starters, because the the starters for the most part have been either recruited or brought in through the transfer portal. I think where we're seeing is the depth you know, offensive line, you know, when you have to move Brock Hoffman to right tackle in the West Virginia game, your depth is probably not what it should be a tackle, right? I mean, it's safe to say. I just, I think that, you know, Virginia Tech's having a hard time recruiting. Uh, Again, this cycle seems to be going a bit better, but in general, they they seem to be having trouble recruiting and holding on to guys and and keeping guys on the roster. Um, And it's a problem i mean i look at i look at the quarterback situation itself right you know everybody wants to talk about burmeister what he can and can't do you know the reality is that a lot of the quarterbacks of virginia tech has had in in the past few years they have been limited right and you know hendon hooker had trouble going through his progressions and he had a fumbling problem quincy patterson right he's only thrown you know about 32 or 33 passes at North Dakota state. So they're clearly weary of him throwing the football a lot. We'll get into him in a second. Cause I, I have some thoughts on, on what Quincy Patterson. I don't want to spend a ton of time on it, but I, I think it's relevant well, to this conversation like
0: here. So yeah, we will get. To-
1: yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then you look at Burmeister, right. And it's just like, man, he makes some plays where you just look at him and you're like, man, this guy can, this guy can really play. Right. And then there are the easy throws out of the backfield or, or some plays down the field. They're open that he just, he doesn't make the play on, you know? And so it's, it's hard to really understand and fathom that. And I, and I look at his body type and he's not really made to, to run the ball 20 or 30 times a game, right? He's not. And Virginia tech loves running their quarterbacks. And the reason why the offense has struggled in my opinion is because they're afraid of Burmeister getting hurt it goes back to the, recruiting and and quarterback development thing where like if you have a competent backup you're not as concerned about Braxton Burmeister running the football like there haven't been as many designed run plays for Burmeister because they're afraid of him getting hurt well that limits the ceiling of this offense because it's taking away one of his strengths as a quarterback I think what you should do if you're an offensive coordinator is build an offense around the strengths of your starter right or starters you know if you got you know, a really good running back, build the offense around him, really good wide receiver, build the offense around him. And that's where I think Cornelson's failing right now. And his hands are tied a little bit, but at the end of the day, it's like, all right, well, look in the mirror. You guys didn't recruit and couldn't hold on to talent. So it's just kind of a circle. And I think the reason why I want to talk about Quincy Patterson briefly, and he's not here, so ultimately it doesn't make a difference. Nothing's going to change. He's at another university now. But his body type would have been perfect for this offense, right, a quarterback his running ability, you know, he's bigger, can sustain hits. And you can't tell me the passing game would be any worse. I don't think it would, considering what we've seen out of the first four weeks of Burmeister.
0: I mean, we've seen Quincy Patterson play on big stages, North Carolina in 2019, even Notre Dame. Yes, it wasn't perfect. It wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it was competent. And it won Virginia Tech that game against North Carolina. And gosh, they almost beat Notre Dame in South Bend against a halfway decent fighting Irish team. But Mike, to your point, I mean, It comes down to the inability to acquire a competent backup in the offseason. We don't have much to talk about on this podcast. Actually, believe it or not, Virginia Tech football, it seems like there's always something to talk about. But that was like the main storyline of the episodes of this podcast that we were recording in January, in February, even into March. It was, all right, Hendon's gone. Quincy's gone. Burmeister's your guy. Who's going to be the backup, because I don't think that there is a ton of faith in Knox Catum maybe against Richmond coming in, in a situation where I don't think the coaches should have put him in. I think you go off script. You don't put your backup in at your own five yard no, line. Before.
1: That was, that was insane. I mean, I couldn't believe that. That was, that was, I mean, we, we could just call it what it is and not spend too much time on it. That was insane. Like that's an unbelievably stupid decision. I mean,
0: it's the, it's the perfect example of, a complaint that a lot of people have had with this coaching staff over the years. And that's, they're more focused on their game plan being right than their game plan being the smartest thing to do at the time in the moment. And yes, I know you had your script and you wanted to give him a series, but at the own five yard line, when you're up by a score,
1: give it to him at the 40 up a couple scores, right. We, if you want to get him in the game
0: had that situation either earlier or later with the, with the short field, you could have operated from the 40 yard line, and then you can really see the plethora of options that he has to offer. And I do understand their rebuttal. I understand that. He should be able to make the plays. Right. True. But you got to know what you have in the room. This is a kid without a ton of experience. The throw was egregious. Can't excuse it, but you can't excuse the decision by the coaches.
1: But nevertheless. No. no. And I get that you want to develop your depth or whatever. I mean, because that's what you need to do. But I mean, Justin Fuente said himself after the Middle Tennessee State game that this team isn't really built right now to blow anybody out. Well, okay, if you believe that, then why are we putting in Knox Cadem, our backup quarterback, into the game when it's seven nothing? You're backed up in the shadow of your own goalpost. It's baffingly stupid. Baffing. Baffingly stupid.
0: Just baffing. Baffing. <laughs> yeah, man. But we said it though. Now this coaching staff's on the hot seat, and they made their bet. They were unable to get that quality backup and if burmeister were to go down and it went to Katim, we'd have to assume that virginia tech's ceiling would uh be going towards the floor <laughs> in no uncertain terms right so now they're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place due to their own ability to do that and they're saying all right we have burmeister but we can't use him to the fullest visibilities because if we go down or if he goes down then suddenly our season could be On the brink, and of course, there's the rumor of the injury against North Carolina, the scare against Middle Tennessee. When you run a kid that size all the time, yeah, it's something that you had to worry about. But at the end of the day, if Braxton Burmeister is not running, what makes him truly worthy of being a Power Five quarterback? You know, in the ACC for a team that hopes to be competing for a division championship, I don't know. And we've seen moments out of Burmeister where he looks really good, but what we haven't seen is consistency. And what worries me is the people on the positive side saying, well, now we have two weeks, you know, really adjust this offense and figure it out and iron things out. I don't think you can fix Braxton Burmeister's inconsistency in two weeks.
1: No, you can't. He is who he is. You can't. Yeah, he is who he is. And I mean, what it really comes down to, Andrew, is, uh, is, is the offensive coaching staff going to allow him to be himself And if the answer is no, because they're afraid that he's going to get hurt, then the offense is going to continue to struggle. And hell, I mean, the offense might continue to struggle, even if you let him be himself, but at least you go down swinging, knowing that you're running plays that cater to his strengths. We haven't seen that through four games, right? Because they're trying to protect him and it just hasn't worked out. And, and for those of you out there who say, Oh, I don't think they're trying to protect him. I just think play calling sucks. I mean, that's one angle, but I mean, this guy just didn't forget how to run the read option overnight, right? Like, why aren't they running RPO plays? Why aren't they running read option plays?
0: Everything plays? we have heard in the media from this kid is that when it comes to his athletic ability, he is confident. Some would say he's almost cocky. He, on media day, claimed himself to be the most athletic kid on the team, save maybe Jaden Payne. Right. You don't think he wants to be out there running? And we'll see. And maybe that's something this Notre Dame game will uh, allow for us to know because we certainly didn't see it in West Virginia. Maybe they open up the playbook a little bit. Maybe we start seeing more of the Braxton Burmeister that we expected to see on the ground, making athletic plays. And ultimately, when you open Pandora's box there, it's, something, it's another thing the defense needs to anticipate. And I expect that that would create some progress in the downfield passing game but we haven't seen it so far so i i'll give give the coaching staff a slight mulligan here not a mulligan but i mean they won the football game so we'd obviously be having a different conversation if they did not right right but if you didn't want to run him because you were worried about him getting hurt against richmond and suddenly the playbook looks different against notre dame then i'll eat my hat and i was wrong maybe they were smart no if if the Irish go home with an L (laughs) but at the end of the day it just feels right now like you have your most powerful and potent weapon and you're keeping it in your back pocket and it doesn't make any sense
1: yeah and I think if you're Fuente like you know you're on the hot seat I mean the, the coaches aren't stupid right I mean they know they know what the situation is and they know that if Burmeister is gone for the year, they're toast because Kadem's not very good. He's not, he's not an FBS quarterback. He was committed to James Madison, Andrew, you know, like yep. we've talked about this a ton. I mean, he's not an FBS quarterback tech took him late because they had an open scholarship towards the end of the cycle. You know, I mean, this wasn't a guy that they were going to take and then, you know, some spots opened up because of poor recruiting at the position and, uh, and the inability to be able to hold on to some guys, right? So,
0: yeah. I've
1: I mean, always said
0: with and this is no disrespect to him, but based on the time of his commitment, based on the fact that he was previously committed to JMU, based on where he stood on that depth chart going into that 2020 season when you had Patterson and Hooker and Burmeister, Katem's career was more likely to end up in the mirror image of my really good friend, Chase Muma, who goes (laughs) through the program, essentially learns how to coach and then goes on to be a coach. I don't think that when Knox Kadem came to Blacksburg, anyone on this coaching staff ever expected that there was a scenario where Knox Kadem was going to be your starting quarterback going into an ACC game. I just, and again, no disrespect to him but the one throw that he makes against Richmond doesn't necessarily inspire confidence that that sentiment is wrong.
1: No. And this is, I mean, I I think this coaching staff just, they, they, they've been so reserved over the entire, you know, if they think this is critical, whatever. I mean, I know coaches listen, you know, whether they like or not, they listen to all the podcasts, they read all the stuff, you know, I, I know, you know, whatever. But they they know this. I mean, they were not as open with the media as they could have been in the first handful of years of the Fuente tenure. Now they're pushing all the chips to the table, middle of the table, because things hadn't gone well. And you may as well try something. you're Winning, you can that. get
0: away with doing that. Look at Bill Belichick, right. look at Nick Saban. But suddenly, when you're losing, and you're Justin Fuente, people don't take as kindly to it.
1: Right. And and to be totally to be totally fair about it, like. I, I know some a, a lot of media members probably going disagree with this sentiment that I have, but, like, if they don't want to reveal every single little thing that's going on within the program, I get it, <laughs> you know? Like, I get it. It's fine. It's hard for the fan base. I get, you know, I understand that, too. The fan base, you know, they want they want access to the program, but like you said, Andrew, you can get away with that if the team's playing well.
0: I mean, I've always just put it in a like put yourself in their shoes. What would you do? You're going to just go tell everyone everything you're going to be upfront and honest and say exactly what's going on. You're going to throw individual players under the bus all the time. No, but again, winning cures all and this coaching staff over the course of the last three seasons hasn't necessarily done that. And now they're in that hot water where people are
1: mad. Yeah. And I, you know the, to their credit they have been more open like the media has been more open we've seen fuente on podcasts you know that he won the tech sideline podcast uh before the season you know the the coaching staff they, there was more media availability in, in the off season which was cool you know so they've taken steps in that department but they've almost gotten too open to the point where they're not telling the truth right and there's always a little bit of showmanship you know with any coach's press conference but I mean, a prime example, we're going into the season and they're hyping up Jalen Jones and Dewan Lofton. Well, Lofton hasn't played really much of any, like in any game, really. I mean, we've seen a little bit of him here and there, but, you know, they made it seem like he was going to be a major contributor and he was going to run in with the ones pretty frequently. We just haven't seen that. You know, Jaden Payute, another guy, right? Everybody was hyping him up before last year. He got hurt. He's been working his way back. I know he fought a hamstring injury in fall camp, but he's still working his way back. Haven't seen a lot of him. We just found out this week that Jalen Jones hasn't practiced in weeks because he's been battling an injury. It's like this kind of stuff only comes out when you ask them direct questions about the receiving core. You know, it's like, why, why are Caleb Smith, Trey Turner, and Tavion Robinson getting all the run at receiver? Not that they're not worthy of playing. I think all three of them, at times this year, have been pretty good. Uh, Trey Turner and Tavion Robinson were a big reason why Tech won the game against Richmond. Probably but, the reason, I
0: mean, offensively at least.
1: Right, exactly. So, you know, it's, it's not to say they shouldn't be playing, but why doesn't why haven't we seen some of those depth pieces that Tech was hyping up, you know, in the offseason, the past couple of off seasons? And, okay, we can write it off to injury for Jalen Jones, obviously. He hasn't practiced. Payute's practiced, though, and I get he might not be 100%, but he's working his way back. We haven't seen a ton of him. but Peyton, like, For me,
0: Jaden Payute is like Santa Claus. You hear a lot about him. He's apparently the savior that's coming to give you all the presents. And, you know, he's just not there. You don't see him. I mean, I'm serious. I've been waiting for three years for this kid to be like the best wide receiver in college football based on what they say in these press conferences. And, gosh, I'm sure he's good. I know people from Richmond that have confirmed, at least on the high school level, what the coaches and the media are saying about him. but. At a certain point, he's either massively injury prone or people are being dishonest or some combination of the two, maybe. I don't
1: know. Right. And then Lofton's the interesting one because Lofton's been healthy this entire time. He was the one who was getting the most run in the offseason as far as the media was concerned. Everybody's talking about Lofton this, Lofton that. He's not playing at all. So, (laughs) like, at some point... (laughs) Well,
0: wasn't that the point of the Richmond game, though? To get him some playing time? Meanwhile... They
1: couldn't get him in because the team wasn't playing well. I mean, I just think we're going to see something. The the bottom line is, Andrew, the team hasn't played up to their capability, and and we can nitpick certain things here and there. But the bottom line is, like, I think what we're going to see after this bye week is we're going to see something a little bit different. Whether or not it works is up in the air. I have no idea. But we're going to see something different offensively because the status quo is not getting it done. Now, if they feel like they're just going to run it back and do the same thing they were doing the first four games, that's fine. But Fontaine and the entire staff will be fired if they continue to run that same offense out there, right? And I don't think it's going to, I don't think you're just going to like, you know, just magic fairy dust and all of a sudden everything's going to be fixed after a bye week. I mean, it's just not the case. I mean, you go back and look at bye weeks under Justin Fuente, the record's not very good. Now, Virginia Tech has played some of their toughest opponents after the bye week, and Notre Dame is certainly going to qualify here a week from Saturday. But it's one of those deals where, like we got to see something different, at least try something different, right? Whether that's running Burmeister a little bit more, whether that's playing DeJuan Lofton some and getting payute more playing time, whether that's, and, I, and I, I focus this more on the offensive side of the ball because I think the defense has been by and large pretty good. So on the offensive side, you know, I want to see, you know, an offensive line that you can have some confidence in, right? And I, I credit the coaching staff for out of necessity, trying something a little bit different against Richmond going into the bye week and it wasn't a total disaster on the offensive line. I Maybe mean, the offensive line didn't play great against Richmond, but I don't think the offensive line is the reason why Virginia Tech didn't win by more than they should have, you know? Um, so, you know, yeah, they're trying I mean, some things up front. I just want to
0: Generally, I would assume that the absence of Silas Jancy would not be the difference between the <laughs> 35 point spread that Virginia Tech was given and winning by 11.
1: Right. Exactly. No, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what I was getting at. Yeah, exactly. So, I just want to see something different at the skill positions, you know, something a little bit different, you know, Virginia Tech hasn't run the ball well, you know, committing to the run would be great <laughs> and, and being able to, to win up front. I mean, Brock Hoffman has not been very good through four games. I mean, he's been a pretty, pretty big disappointment, I think. Uh, and, you know, I, I hate just nitpicking individual guys, but like, you know, Janzy's injury hurt and, and Hoffman did all he could attack all against West Virginia when he was forced to, go play that position. And it hasn't been an easy year for the offensive line up front either. So, you know, I want to cut them a little bit of slack, but at the same time, like call it what it is. I mean, Caden Moore's a true freshman. So he's going to take his lumps at right guard. But when you have a guy like Brock Hoffman, who's been in the program now a few years and he's been playing college football now, this is his fourth year of college football. Like you expect a little bit more out of that guy you know, Tenuta has been up and down, you know, Lasita Smith has been up and down, you know, these guys just all got to play better, you know, and I just don't know, I don't know what the answer is. I mean, I, in season, in season, you know, I, I think every, you know, the, the, there's portions of the fan base who are like, all right, give us some time, we'll see for the season. And I'm, I'm with you because I think this is going to be a different team week to week, you know, I, I think it's just high variability on offense, and mostly a steady defense that's prone to giving up some big plays here and there. So I think we know what we got on defense. Offense is just going to be a total crapshoot week to week. So it's going to be high variability with this team this year. But we knew that going into the season. And then we're going to get to the end of the year. We're going to see where the chips fall. And then Witt's going to have to decide what's next for this program. Whether or not you know Fuente has earned another year. You know he is under contract, obviously. But whether or not he's earned another year with the program or whether it's time to, to cut bait and move on. And I, the easy thing to say is, and the fan base has been calling for it is ah, just fire everybody. It's like, okay, we can do that. But then witt has got to be confident that the guy he's bringing in is going to be better, right? It's he's got to really it. love the next candidate because let's, let's call it what it is. Andrew, Whit Babcock earned a contract extension, not because of, hiring justin fuente but because of the hires he's made elsewhere in the athletic department he earned a mulligan he earned a mulligan with the football hire which drives revenue for the entire athletic department we know that you know and he he earned a mulligan so he's got to get the next hire right if he does elect to move on from justin fuente so he's got to absolutely love the guy that he's trying to bring in in order to fire fuente he's not gonna he's not gonna bend the knee to fan pressure Andrew, because what we've seen this year and a lot of fans were saying, oh, after last year apathy, oh, there's going to be fan apathy, this fan apathy, that Carolina was sold out tech played middle Tennessee state and Richmond to two opponents. Nobody cares about. Right. They still got 50 or 60. You know, they still got 45, 50,000 in each game, which isn't great, but they're selling out Notre Dame. Like this is a program that sells out big games and they get good crowds at their ACC games. Right. And that's the way it's been. And so I think the fan apathy thing is a little bit overblown, but I'll tell you what, like if this thing bottoms out, Witt will make a move. If it doesn't, and he's not hundred percent convinced that the next guy is going to be better. He's going to run it back. Andrew. Like that's what he'll do. I mean, we saw it. We just saw it happen in 2020. Like he's already done it. There's a track record of doing it.
0: I mean, finances were more of a factor in 2020, but I'll I'll say two things. Number one, we've been talking for about, 30-some-odd minutes, 40 minutes, I don't know. We don't have a clock in front of us. But kind of the point where we're at is exactly where I thought this team would be coming into the season. Right. So maybe North Carolina, especially offensively, that first half against North Carolina, and perhaps I got so wrapped up in the fact that Virginia Tech was about to win that I didn't pay attention to how poorly the offense played in that second half. That's fool's gold. But essentially, after that first half against North Carolina, with the exception of the fact that the defense has been better than I really expected them to be, the team's pretty much where I thought they would be. Maybe the offense a little worse. Maybe the defense a little better. Whatever. But when it comes down to hiring coaches, you need to be sure that you can get three guys, three final candidates, not just one, but three. Or right. you can bring every single one of those guys into a room and know that every single one of those guys is going to be a step up for your program and what they are with Justin Fuente. That's a great point. I am about to go to Lincoln, Nebraska. We are recording this on Thursday night. I will be leaving on a jet plane. Don't know if I'll be back again. Shout out John Denver at 6 a.m. tomorrow. And I'm going to go watch the Cornhuskers play Northwestern. Go see my good friend, Nathan Brennan. Shout out to him. A few years ago, I think five or six years ago, Nebraska had a coach named Bo Polina. Bo Pelini had never lost or had never won less than nine football games in a season during his tenure at Nebraska. The fans got mad. They wanted Nebraska to be the championship program that it used to be back in the 90s, back in the 70s. For what is really the better part of modern college football history, Nebraska is what you believe Ohio State to be right now, I guess, in terms of their clout, maybe better. So they they fired Polini without much of a plan. And in two coaching hires since, again, firing a guy that never won less than nine games, six years. They've won seven games once. The transition from Beamer to Fuente, which was initially deemed as flawless, was the opportunity to grab that Virginia Tech clout that you all remember of Tyrod Taylor and Michael Vick and ACC championships by the horns and say we're passing it along. But if it doesn't work, I won't say we're back to square one if the resources that they promise are there, but there's not much that would make Virginia Tech an attractive place to go coach football that, say, a school like Pittsburgh would have to offer maybe a better fan base, maybe a little more money, but what's what's the track record look like over the course of the last decade? It's, been, it's almost been ten years, Mike, since Virginia Tech was competitive on a consistent level, and that's what with backup gets paid a lot of money to do is to take all these factors in mind. So, as fans, I know it's hard. You know, we wanted to coronate this guy after he beat Notre or after he beat North Carolina. He's gotten it all figured out. You lose to West Virginia, you got this game against Richmond, and suddenly he's uh, the target of everyone's vitriol. We need to let this thing play itself out. Nothing good will come out of firing the guy before the season ends. I don't think a big contract extension is on the table, so we don't have to worry about the other side. But in an ACC Coastal division where... Everyone seems to have their problems, and we'll spend the last 10 or so minutes of this podcast maybe jumping into that. We kind of have to let the cards fall as they may, and that is the season that Virginia Tech football is in for, week by week, matchup by matchup, and if they sneak away with the Coastal Division Championship out of it, well, then that's something that we can all hold on to, but it's not going to be pretty. I can promise you that. It's not going to be pretty, whether it's a bludgeoning through the months of October and November, or ultimately a trip to Charlotte.
1: Yeah, I, no, I agree. And I, it's really, it's really funny because like Virginia Tech's been bad, like on offense, they've been bad, right? They've been bad. But I, I look at the rest of the conference and a lot of teams have been bad <laughs> you know? And I think fans are just saying, you know, the offense is so bad. This thing's going to bottom out. And Andrew, because of the state of the ACC, I don't think that it can bottom out. Like, I I, I just, there's going to be variability week to week. I can't emphasize that enough. It's going to be a very week to week thing, especially once we get past Notre Dame, right? Because Notre Dame is not Ultimately, the Notre Dame game matters from an optics standpoint of the program, which at this point, under Fuente, optics are what they are with Fuente, right? Like, if they don't win the game, it's not going to be good enough, right? So it really comes down to the other ACC games. We've seen Pitt lose to a MAC team. Pitt is Virginia Tech's next opponent after Notre Dame. We've seen Pitt lose to a MAC team in West Virginia. You know, we've seen Duke lose to Charlotte. We've seen Syracuse look very up and down. They can't really complete a forward pass. You think Virginia Tech's quarterback situation is bad? Go watch a Syracuse football game. Um, That's not going very well.
0: Which, by the way, if there was a year to have your cross-divisional matchup be Syracuse, where there's vulnerability across the board within the Coastal, I guess this would be it, right?
1: This would be it, yeah. This year or last year, certainly. Um, (laughs) I think Syracuse is actually a little bit better than last year, but they're still not very good. You know, BC is on a backup quarterback. So that game looks a little less imposing, you know, than it once did. Miami's a mess. UVA can't play defense and they can't run the ball. So, I mean, where are the the surefire losses, I guess, coming from? You know what I mean? And Virginia Tech's got plenty of issues. We've just, you know, we've spent 40 minutes talking about all of Virginia Tech's issues on offense. I'm not saying that now that, that, you know, Virginia Tech could win eight or nine. And I, you know, everything's fixed. I'm not saying that. I just think it's a weak conference. And I think that, you know, Virginia Tech within this season, yes, their goals are still in front of them. And to be honest with you, they could just play mediocre football the rest of the way, Andrew. And that could end up being good enough in this coastal division this year. And then what's going to be in a really tough spot? I mean, I I think if you're a Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech fan that doesn't like, that doesn't like Fuente, this is kind of worst case scenario where like Virginia Tech just kind of manages to skirt by the entire year and they win a weak division. And you're still not particularly convinced that the program is heading in the right direction or that the team's any good, you know? So I don't know. I, the Notre Dame game is going to tell us a lot. You know, I think if Virginia Tech comes out and plays well there, Notre Dame's got a huge game this weekend at home against Cincinnati. We'll see how that pans out but a lot of this is going to come down to how Virginia tech looks in that Notre Dame game. I mean, if Notre Dame comes into that game undefeated, you know, if they beat Cincinnati, they're going to be a top 10 team. I mean, if Virginia tech wins that game or to win that game at Blacksburg, that would be two top 10 teams they've beaten already this year. Now I understand Carolina looks a little bit overrated and actually so does Notre Dame, but you know, these are two games that not a lot of people expected Virginia Tech to win. If you're able to pull that out, then all of a sudden we're talking about Fuente in a better light again. But <laughs> I mean, at that
0: point, then you're four and one with wins over Notre Dame and UNC, the two
1: biggest home wins
0: of the last half decade.
1: Yeah. Four, and, well, right. last decade. and you were on you were on the goal line against West Virginia. You're you're two snaps away from being or one snap away from being undefeated.
0: From being so, the 10 team in the freaking country, gosh. I mean, it's
1: I, – I mean, if Virginia Tech beats Notre Dame, which I don't think anybody sees happening given the state of the offense, but, you know, Virginia Tech finds a way to beat Notre Dame. And, Andrew, will get into that preview next week, but
0: – All right, I think- quickly before we do, though, what's your hot take? Guess the opening spread. I guess it's hard to do without seeing them play Cincinnati.
1: Yeah, it is a little bit hard to do. I would say Notre Dame would be around, given what their offense is right now, I think Notre Dame would be around a six or seven point favorite. I just, I don't think it would be more than that only because the game is at home for Virginia Tech and Notre Dame's offense has been very up and down. And Virginia Tech's defense, we saw what what they did to North Carolina, a good offense in the opener, right? or a competent offense anyway. I don't know if they're good, but a competent offense in the opener. Notre Dame's offense is any better than the North Carolina's is at this point, right? So a round touchdown, I think. Yeah,
0: seven points. I mean, I, I would say about 10 points to give Virginia take the home field advantage.
1: Yeah, Bum- that's fine. Yeah, seven, seven to 10 point. points, I think, is a good range. Yeah, for sure. For
0: sure. We shall see. All right, Mike, ACC picks time. Are you watching UNC, UVA right now?
1: I am, yeah. So there's no score. Virginia is on the 17. They're driving on Miami, and they now have first and in goal inside the 10. Uh, so Virginia is going into scores a little under nine minutes to go in the first quarter. Um, All right. Well,
0: what would be your pick before the game? Because we made I made Ricky oh, pick these games. No, I
1: mean so. I can I can give you my pick. My uh, my pick on a couple my ACC podcast, I picked Miami, and the reason why I picked Miami At
0: five and a half.
1: Yes, I, I picked Miami to to win and cover, and the reason why is because even though Miami's got a backup quarterback in and, you know, D.R. King's not playing Virginia has been so bad on defense and offensively. They're so, they, they just lack a true identity. I mean, they're just going to throw it a ton, but I just don't know how sustainable that is through ACC play. You know what I mean? So
0: it's, it's exactly like we said last week when we picked Wake Forest, when UVA was playing, it's like UVA might have higher upside at certain positions. Brandon Armstrong, you mentioned me to, this to me on the radio today, ACC player of the year through the month of September.
1: Yeah, but, he's great. He's great. But
0: on the defensive ball, so many... Side of the, <laughs> I did that. On the defensive side of the ball, so many gaps. And Miami, at the end of the day, is the same football team that brought back 19 of 21 starters from a team that you know, was 8-2 and two last year in the ACC. North Carolina, Notre Dame, so all they lost to. Everyone is ha ha haing Miami right now, not so fast. Michigan State and Alabama, the two teams that they've lost to, haven't lost anyone yet.
1: Right, right. Come on. Like, let's
0: not laugh off opponents when we got our own problems, and they certainly got problems. Don't get me wrong, but from where I'm standing today, I see Miami as the favorite in the Coastal because North Carolina's already got two losses, and I, I, I don't see a Pitt team that lost to Western Michigan or a Virginia Tech team that with an anemic offense going to close that gap, at least on paper right now.
1: Yeah, I, it's funny because I, I picked Miami <laughs> to win the Coastal at the beginning of the year, and I couldn't have felt worse about it given the state of Miami. But, I mean, everybody's kind of bad or, or just mediocre, I guess. So maybe it wasn't the worst pick in the world.
0: Yeah, perhaps not. Uh, well, another team that is probably in the Coastal race, and maybe in, against another team that's in the Coastal race, your boy, Jelly, Pitt at Georgia Tech. <laughs> Georgia Tech coming out with the big win against North Carolina. I remember they had Clemson on the ropes. It's still a three-point favorite in Atlanta, though. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I'm on Georgia Tech here. I think they've just been, they've been more consistent, you know? Um, Georgia Tech lost to Northern Illinois in the opener, but they've been better every, every week since then. They, they've been the one team, uh, one of a couple teams, I guess, in the ACC. It's gotten better every week. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I like Georgia Tech at home. I think, I think they're the better team. I think that the wrong team is favored, you know? Um, and maybe this ends up getting proven wrong later on in the season. Andrew, but I'm still trying to figure out the pit hype going into the season. Still trying to figure that out. Haven't quite put my finger on it yet. You know, why Why Pitt was one of the teams that a lot of people were high on. Uh, but you know, outside of the Western Michigan loss, they've, they've looked good. I mean, they went on the road to Knoxville, won a game there, and you know, they, they've looked okay. But I, I think that's not, not, not playing to better.
0: To to not easy to go to Knoxville. This is probably the hardest game of the week for me to pick. Because, all right, like you look at the pattern. Well, Jeff Sims absolutely has a day against North Carolina. Right. Does North Carolina's defense just have trouble stopping the mobile quarterback? Because I don't think Jeff Sims is Michael Vick. But he certainly looks something like it <laughs> like against the Tar Heels. So,
1: Yeah, he was good.
0: He, he, he was very good. I'm going to go with Georgia Tech on this one. Ricky has Pitt. But now we get to uh, a team coming off of an inspiring victory at home but now they hit the road the good news for them it's not much of a trip duke travels to north carolina carolina a 20 point favorite in this contest
1: yeah i think carolina wins kind of comfortably but i think duke is able to hang around a bit for a while and cover the spread i mean duke's offense i think is competent enough to sit on the football and pick up first downs, to keep the ball out of sam howell's hands something we haven't been able to say about duke's offense consistently but Gunnar Holmberg has been pretty good at quarterback and Mateo Durant's a really good running back. And I've actually been impressed with the way that Duke has been able to find themselves an offensive identity, play good complementary football on that side of the ball. And defensively it's a work in progress, but I think you can limit the amount of exposure that your defense faces. If you're able to keep that Sam Howell led offense off the field. So I think North Carolina wins, but Duke covers.
0: Yeah, buddy. I'm on the same page. Uh, We knew Mateo Durant was going to be good coming into the season, right? It was almost conversations about him were turned to be very negative insofar as, oh, great talent. Too bad he's going to be playing for a horrible team. I I still don't think Duke's a good team, but quarterback was their biggest issue last year. The Chase Bryce experiment did not go well. Maybe the Holmberg for Heisman campaign will uh, pick up some steam. I'm going to go with Duke (laughs) and uh, Ricky's going to do it as well. Uh, Louisville on the road at Wake Forest. Wake, six and a half point favorites at home.
1: I like Wake. I think Louisville covers, though. I think this is a – this game always gets kind of weird. I think Louisville's been flying under the radar a little bit. They looked so bad on Labor Day against Ole Miss, especially in the first half. But they've been flying under the radar. I mean, I I think a lot of people saw that first performance. They're like, all right, I mean, Louisville, we're out on them. I mean, Satterfield almost – not almost went to South Carolina because I I don't think he was – a finalist or anything like that, but he interviewed at South Carolina. They had a weird off season. They weren't very good last year. And then they get bludgeoned in the opener by a really good old miss team. And I think everybody's like, all right, I mean, only reason to pay attention to Louisville now is if there's a coaching change, but uh, Malik Cunningham has been good. They've been taking care of the football on offense. Uh, You know, the running game's coming along. Defense has been all right. I think they keep it close. I think Wake Forest wins the game because they've just been more consistent I think they're better coach. I mean, I think they win the football game, but I think Louisville's got the talent, certainly, to keep this thing close um, inside a touchdown and, and give themselves a chance to win.
0: No one's better coach than Wake Forest. Dave Clawson runs one of the best programs in the country, given the resources that he has. And when I watch the Deacons play, it's hard for me to not dream of what it would be like if Virginia Tech could play complimentary football with experienced players, juniors, seniors, red shirt, seniors, and string together a whole football game like that. You know, right. it doesn't seem like there's any semblance of inconsistency. It doesn't seem like those guys take plays off and I'm going to have a hard time picking against them. You know, as the season progresses here, I, I really like what Clawson's built. And you and I have talked about this before. Why was everyone sleeping on Wake going into the year? I don't know, because they brought so much talent back. And imagine right. what they'd be with Kenneth Walker. They'd still lead right. the country in rushing yards yeah, over great. Uh, Next game, on, oh, by the way, Ricky picked Louisville there. Uh, Louisiana Tech goes to NC State. NC State coming off of a big emotional win against the Clemson Tigers. They're 20.5-point favorites here.
1: Yeah, I love Louisiana Tech to cover here. Pretty big letdown spot for NC State, I think. Um, NC State's more talented. They'll win the game. Louisiana Tech, I mean, they've been up and down this year so far. They've won some shootouts. They've lost some shootouts. Uh, but I think they, they keep this thing semi-competitive. But I think NC State wins.
0: I'm going to go with NC State. I like the performance that they put on against Clemson. Obviously, you beat Clemson anytime time in the last five years. That is something of an accomplishment. I don't really know enough about Louisiana Tech to really comment on it. So I'm just going to blindly bet on Clemson because you and Ricky – pick Louisiana Tech. And if I lose, it's an opportunity for you guys to uh, pick up some points on me here.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Big game here. Boston College, Clemson, Clemson 14.5 point favorites. Boston College won against Missouri last week. We were all wrong about that one. Do you think that the magic of Dennis Grossell remains here or the complete and total lack of magic on the Clemson offense that could keep this game within two touchdowns?
1: The difference between Boston College and NC State is NC State has Devin Leary and Boston College does not, right? I mean, their version of, of a Devin Leary, like, top-tier type quarterback in the ACC is injured and not playing for a while in Phil Dracovic. So, Boston College, in order for them to keep this competitive, they need to run the football well. And there's an opportunity because Clemson has some injuries on the interior defensive line. But if BC is unable to run the ball consistently, Dennis Grossell, and I've seen this show before. I've seen Boston College play Clemson before, in person, 2019. And I saw Dan Scrossell play quarterback in Death Valley against Clemson before. It hasn't been pretty. <laughs> it hasn't been pretty. So I, they got to run the ball well to give themselves a chance. I don't think they will do that. I think Clemson, I think Clemson wins. I do think Boston College covers because I don't, I don't think Clemson's offense can cover 14 points against any semi-competent FBS team right now. It's just in really bad shape offensively. Uh, but I do think I do think they win. I think BC covers out.
0: Again, BC's got all the pieces that they had minus Phil Djokovic that made me think that they were going to be the number two team in the ACC. So they have shown with Dennis Grossell that they will stay competitive. I'm going to go with BC as well. I'm now flipping the script on what I was saying in the previous two weeks that I'm going to trust Dabo until he proves me otherwise. Well, this team has proven me otherwise, so... Score some points and they'll start betting on Clemson again. There you go. Uh, Syracuse at Florida State. Florida State, four and a half.
1: Uh, (laughs) Florida State, I guess. I mean, mean, they're not going to go on five, are they?
0: What if they win by like (laughs) three?
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm not even confident betting the money line right now. Are you? I mean how
0: about this? We'll both go Florida State. We'll go with the Syracuse coming off of an emotional win. Last second kick against Liberty. Letdown spot. Florida State. Fair enough. We'll go with that. All right. Two bonus games because Notre Dame's on the horizon. Notre Dame and Cincinnati. Notre Dame one and a half point underdog in South Bend.
1: I like the Irish. Uh, Notre Dame hasn't lost a home game in four years, Andrew, (laughs) like this is, yeah, Brian Kelly, you know, we, we can make jokes about the playoff and, you know, how Notre Dame doesn't beat Alabama and Clemson. I mean, not many teams beat Alabama and, and, you know, fully functional Clemson. I mean, this year's Clemson is a little bit different. I think we can agree, but fully functional Clemson and, and Alabama, not many teams in the country are beating them, which is why. Alabama and Clemson are the ones winning the national championships year over year. So I, I think Brian Kelly's done a really nice job. I I'm holding a Cincinnati to make the playoff ticket that I got it like plus 2,600 before the season. That's now down to like plus 600 because there's been chaos across the country. So it would be in my best interest for Cincinnati to win. And I think there's definitely a chance that they do because I think they're extremely well coached. Desmond Rear is a really good quarterback, but Notre Dame defensively seems to be figuring some things out. And I think if they're able to hold off the Cincinnati pass rush, I think they'll have a chance to win this football game at home and Brian Kelly. I'm just going with track record. Andrew, like Brian Kelly is just really good at getting his team up to play these home games against really good quality competition. Like they don't generally lose these games as exhibited by their, by their record in them the last four years. So I'm going to go with Notre Dame close here. I think.
0: Yeah. You've convinced me. I'm going with Notre Dame. It's a coin flip, though.
1: I mean, it's a total coin flip. You know, it's a
0: toss-up, but I kind of feel the same way I did last week against Wisconsin, even though Wisconsin has more glaring issues than Cincinnati seems to have. But nonetheless, all right, last game, true bonus game, just because I'm going, Lincoln, Nebraska, Saturday night, 6 p.m. The Northwestern Wildcats come to town. Cornhuskers, 11-and-a-half-point favorites.
1: Nebraska's been all right. I mean, they had a...
0: Ever since that Illinois
1: game, they have not—they have not been that bad. And like, I, I get like, you gotta win eventually. you've Gotta start winning close games, you know. I get it. They haven't done that under Scott Frost, which is why the fan base isn't exactly in love with him anymore. But they're playing some decent football for sure. Like Adrian Martinez has been hanging in there. I, I, yeah, I've, I like Nebraska here. I do. And Northwestern's a mess. They're they're a total mess. You know, they turned it over five times against Duke. I mean, they're, Hunter Johnson's a disaster a quarterback. Yeah, I'm, I'm on Nebraska.
0: I'm with you on that, Mike. Not going to go to Nebraska and not pick Nebraska in this one. That go Huskers this weekend. Lincoln, good luck. I'm coming. And I'm going to be with Nathan Brennan for the first time in six months, which is a scary, scary concept. All right, Mike, that's it for us. What do you got to say to the folks at home before we talk to them next week to preview this Notre Dame game?
1: Ricky can't steal my thunder on this, so rate, review, and subscribe. Do them all all.
0: catch me on twitter at andrew alex radio that's andrew a-l-i-x radio catch mike mike mcdaniel s-o-s ricky's easy at ricky LeBlue. we missed ricky today again our schedules were completely chaotic but it's the bye week so we kind of just procrastinated 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 thought this was a good podcast hope you guys were listening i know it's friday for a post richmond one so it is what it is but we'll catch you next week regular time We'll record on Monday, out by Tuesday, and we'll be good to go. Folks, have a wonderful weekend. Enjoy the bye week. Can't lose, but still, go hookies.